Hello, active and inactive listeners, you monarchs here to behold this swelling scene. I'm Madeline Waddle, and this is my colleague and artist in arms, Dob. Hello. Tonight, we bring you installment three of Arden Radio Theater's production of The Scotch Egg Mystery. I don't think I'm prepared for a Scotch Egg Mystery. Well, prepare yourself, Dobbins. We've also got an interview with Mr. Simon Tittle. We'll be talking about loyalty, regicide, and how heavy is the head that wears the crown. The Horn and Moon Presents is a production of 98.5 KMEW. The Cat, providing you with up-to-the-minute arts coverage for the Arden County area. This week's arts calendar is actually dominated by one of the biggest tragedies our local arts community has ever faced. Claude Perkowski's weekly night at the studio has been canceled this week after his studio burnt to the ground last Sunday. I gave Fire Marshal High Lowered a call right before we went on today so we could give listeners the latest. So here's what we know. Perkowski arrived at home around 1 a.m. on Sunday, following the goat cheese regatta, Valmont's Goats and Blooms, to find his studio ablaze. Fortunately, his studio was detached from his home, so there was no damage to his living space, but the entire studio was destroyed, taking with it many works in progress. That's the real loss. Yeah, it really is. Dob, did Marshall Lord say what had caused the fire? They hadn't determined conclusively, but there seems to only be two possibilities they're still chasing down. One is that Perkowski may have left some incense burning when he left for the regatta, and the whole thing is a tragic accident, but they haven't fully ruled out arson. Arson? It's the curse, Dob. I should have stayed on you about running and spitting after you said the name of the play. I blame myself. It's not the curse. Lucretia Page said something wicked this way comes. Well, it was a wicked arsonist, and now they've burned down poor Claude's studio. There is a bright spot that many of Perkowski's patrons are already collecting funds to rebuild, and Agatha actually is donating 25% of the regatta proceeds. But this is just the beginning. Who knows what else may happen before the curse is through? I would have goosebumps right now, Dob, but it's unseasonably warm. Hashtag climate change. Who's to say that's not just the result of generations of people disregarding the curse? In high school classrooms, theaters, libraries, around the world, people are just willy-nilly flirting with things they don't understand by bandying about that name like it isn't poison on the tongue. I don't think that's it. And if it was, couldn't you just fix it by running a few more laps around the studio and just reverse it? I couldn't. I'm sure my profanity is not up to snuff. I've never even been to sea. So we're stuck here, victims to the whims of an unreliable and inconsistent superstition. Lucretia got a warning. What good is a warning if you can't do something about it? There has to be a way to counteract it. Hey man, it's your curse. Remove it if you want. I don't care, as I very much do not believe in it. I'll say the title of the play till I'm blue in the face. Macbeth? 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 I 
Oh, I can't even believe what I'm hearing right now, Dob. You don't believe in a curse that's been documented for hundreds of years? How has it been documented? In anecdotes. Anecdotes aren't documentation. I'm sure somewhere there's someone with a lot of advanced degrees who would have a very carefully crafted argument to prove you wrong. But all I can say is I believe it. You believe that if you say the name Macbeth, terrible things will happen to the production. For real. You really think that will happen? Yeah. So, like, go do something about it. Run, spit, curse the thing. Go do it. I'm not going to. But if you really believe it, you should start spitting and running because installment three is ready to go any minute. But I don't want to. Oh, do you want the installment to crash and burn? Dob. You know nothing's going to happen because you said something. The curse is just fun. And Claude is always burning incense. There's nothing supernatural there. But why do you and your Vulcan-like cohorts have to stomp on the fun by refusing to participate? By refusing to participate in superstition? By refusing to participate in a tradition that people enjoy, that gives us a sense of shared culture and camaraderie. Wait, that's what it does? I mean, doesn't it? Listeners, what do you think? The curse of the Scottish play. Real curse, real bonding, fake on all levels? Get at us. Facebook, email, Twitter. Also, sign up now for Angus Mobile's Morris Dance for World Peace. Nine nonstop days of jingle bells and large spoons, all for a good cause. Sign up at the Arden Community College Student Union and start gathering those pledges. But for now, sit back and enjoy installment three of Mac Death Murder Most Foul. Arden Radio Theater presents Macbeth, part three, Murder Most Foul. The sky is dark and starless. Duncan snores fitfully in his chamber. In the stables, the horses are uneasy, and in the bailey of Macbeth's castle, Scotland's thanes take shelter as they can. In the day, a falcon was by a mousing owl hawked at and killed. Now in the night, tawny feathers skitter across stones. Into this murmuring dark enters Banquo, and his young son Fleance with a torch. How goes the night, boy? The moon is down. I have not heard the clock. And she goes down at twelve. I take it tis later, sir. Hold, take my sword. There's husbandry in heaven. Their candles are all out. Take thee that too. A heavy summons lies like lead upon me, and yet I would not sleep. Merciful powers. Restrain in me that cursed thought that nature gives way to in repose. Give me my sword. Who's there? Out of the darkness steps Macbeth. A friend. Oh, what, sir? Not yet at rest. The king's abed. 
He hath been an unusual pleasure, and sent forth great largesse to your offices. I dreamt last night of the three weird sisters. To you they have showed some truth? I think not on them. Yet, when we can entreat an hour to serve, we should spend it in some words upon that business, if you would grant the time. At your kindest leisure. If you shall cleave to my consent, when tis, it shall make honor for you. So I lose none in seeking to augment it, but still keep my bosom franchised and allegiance clear. I shall be counseled. Good, repose a while. Thanks, sir. The like to you. Banquo and his young son retire. Is this a dagger which I see before me? The handle toward my hand? Come, let me clutch thee. I have thee not, and yet I see thee still. Art thou not fatal vision sensible to feeling as to sight? Or art thou but a dagger of the mind, a false creation proceeding from the heat-pressed brain? I see thee yet, in form as palpable as this which now I draw. Thou marshalst me the way that I was going, and such an instrument I was to use. Mine eyes are made the fools out of the other senses, or else worth all the rest. I see thee still, and on thy blade and dudget gouts of blood, which was not so before. There's no such thing. It is the bloody business which informs thus to mine eyes. Now o'er the one half world nature seems dead, and wicked dreams abuse the curtain sleep. Witchcraft celebrates pale Hecate's offerings and withered murder. Alarmed by his sentinel, the wolf moves like a ghost. Thou sure and firm-set earth, hear not my steps, which way they walk, for fear the very stones prate of my whereabout, and take the present horror from the time which now suits with it. Whiles I threat he lives, words to the heat of deeds too cold breath gives. I go, and it is done. The bell invites me. Hear it not, Duncan, for it is a knell that summons thee to heaven or to hell. Within, the lady of the castle returns to her chambers from a dark errand. That which hath made them drunk hath made me bold. What hath quenched them hath given me fire. Hark! Peace! Oh, it was the owl that shrieked, the fatal bellman which gives the sternest good night. He is about it. The doors are open, and the surfeited grooms do mock their charge with snores. I have drugged their possets that death and nature do contend about them whether they live or die. Who's there? What ho? Alack, I am afraid they have awaked and tis not done. The attempt and not the deed confounds us. Hark! I laid their daggers ready. He could not miss them. Had he not resembled my father as he slept, I had done't. My husband? I have done the deed. Didst thou not hear a noise? I heard the owl scream and the crickets cry. Did you not speak? When? Now. As I descended? I. This is a sorry sight. A foolish thought to say a sorry sight. There's one did laugh in his sleep and cried, Murder! 
that they did wake each other. I stood and heard them, but they did say their prayers and addressed them again to sleep. There are two lodged together? One cried, God bless us, and, and amen. The other, as they had seen me with these hangman's hands listening their fear, I could not say amen when they did say, God bless us. Consider it not so deeply. But wherefore could not I pronounce amen? I had most need of blessing, and amen stuck in my throat. These deeds must not be thought after these ways, so it will make us mad. Methought I heard a voice cry, Sleep no more, Macbeth does murder sleep. The innocent sleep. Sleep that knits up the raveled sleeve of care, the death of each day's life, sore labor's bath, balm of hurt minds, great nature's second course, chief nourisher in life's feast. What do you mean? Still he cried, sleep no more to all the house. Gloms hath murdered sleep, and therefore Cawdor shall sleep no more. Macbeth shall sleep no more. Who was it that thus cried? Why, worthy Thane, you do unbend your noble strength to think so brain-sickly of things. Go, get some water, and wash this filthy witness from your hand. Why did you bring these daggers from the place? They must lie there. Go, carry them, and smear the sleepy grooms with blood. I'll go no more. I am afraid to think what I have done. Look on again, I dare not. Infirm of purpose, give me the daggers. The sleeping and the dead are but as pictures. Tis the eye of childhood that fears a painted devil. If he do bleed, I'll gild the faces of the grooms withal, for it must seem their guilt. Whence is that knocking? How is't with me when every noise appalls me? What hands are here? Ah, they pluck out mine eyes. Will all great Neptune's oceans wash this blood clean from my hand? No. This my hand will rather the multitudinous seas in Cardinine, making the green one red. My hands are of your color, but I shame to wear a heart so white. I hear a knocking at the south entry. Uh, retire we to our chamber. A, a little water clears us of this deed. How easy is it then? Your constancy hath left you unattended. Hark, more knocking. Get on your nightgown, lest occasion call us and show us to be watchers. Be not lost so poorly in your thoughts. To know my deed, t'were best not know myself. Wake, Duncan, with thy knocking. Thou couldst. In the gatehouse, the ominous knocking awakens the porter. Oh, here's a knocking indeed. Uh, if man were porter of Hellgate, he should have old turning the key. Knock, knock, knock. Who's there in the name of Belzebub? Oh, there's a farmer that hanged himself on the expectation of plenty. Come in time. Have napkins enough about you. Here you'll sweat for it. Knock, knock. Who's there in the other devil's name? Faith, 
here's an equivocator that could swear in both the scales against either scale, who committed treason enough for God's sake, yet could not equivocate to heaven. Oh, come in, equivocator. Knock, knock, knock. Who's there? Faith, here's an English tailor come hither for stealing out of a French hose. Come in, tailor. Here you may roast your goose. Knock, knock. Never at quiet. What are you? Uh, but this place is too cold for hell. I'll devil porter it no further. I had thought to have let in some of all professions that go the primrose way to the everlasting bonfire. Anon, anon. I pray you remember the porter. Was it so late, friend, ere you went to bed that you do lie so late? Faith, sir, we were carousing till the second cock. And drink, sir, is a great provoker of three things. What three things does drink especially provoke? Mary, sir, nose painting, sleep, and urine. Lechery, sir, it provokes and unprovokes. It provokes the desire, but it takes away the performance. Therefore, much drink may be said to be an equivocator with lechery. It makes him and it mars him. It sets him on and it takes him off. It persuades him and disheartens him, makes him stand to and not stand to. In conclusion, equivocates him in the sleep and giving him the lie leaves him. I believe drink gave thee the lie last night. <laughs> Is thy master stirring? Our knocking has awaked him. Here he comes. Good morrow, noble sir. Good morrow, both. Is the king stirring, worthy thing? Uh, not yet. He did command me to call timely on him. I have almost slipped the hour. I'll bring you to him. I know this is a joyful trouble to you, but yet tis one. The labor we delight in physics pain. Uh, this is the door. I'll make so bold to call, for tis my limited service. Goes the king hence today? He does. He did appoint so. The night has been unruly. Where we lay, our chimneys were blown down. And, as they say, lamentings heard of the air, strange screams of death and prophesied with accents terrible of dire combustion and confused events new hatched to the woeful time. The obscure bird clamored the live-long night. Some say the earth was feverous and did shake. T'was a rough night. My young remembrance cannot parallel a fellow to it. Oh, oh horror. Horror, horror, tongue nor heart cannot conceive nor name thee. What's, What's the matter? matter? Confusion now hath made his masterpiece. Most sacrilegious murder hath broke up the Lord's anointed temple and stole thence the life of the building. What is, you say, the life? Mean you his majesty? Approach the chamber and destroy your sight with a new gorgon. Do not bid me speak. See, and then speak yourselves. Awake, awake, ring the alarm bell, murdered and treason. Banquo Malcolm, awake! Shake off this downy sleep, death's counterfeit, and look on death itself. Up, up and see the great doom's image. Malcolm Banquo, as from your graves rise up and walk like sprites to countenance this horror. Ring the bell! 
Oh, what's the business that such a hideous trumpet calls to parley the sleepers of the house? Speak. Speak. Oh, gentle lady, tis not for you to hear what I can speak. The repetition in a woman's ear with murder as it fell. Oh, Banquo! Banquo! A royal master's murdered. Whoa, alas! What, in our house? Too cruel anywhere. Dear Duff, I prithee contradict thyself and say it is not so. Had I but died an hour before this chance, I had lived a blessed time. For from this instant, there's nothing serious in mortality. All is but toys. Renown in grace is dead. The wine of life is drawn, and the mere lees is left this vault to brag of. What is amiss? You are, and do not know it. The spring, the head, the fountain of your blood is stopped. The very source of it is stopped. Your royal father's murdered. Oh, by whom? Those of his chamber, as it seemed, had done it. Their hands and faces were all badged with blood. So were their daggers, which, unwiped, we found upon their pillows. They stared and were distracted. No man's life was to be trusted with them. Oh, yet I do repent me of my fury that I did kill them. Wherefore did you so? Who can be... Wise, amazed, temperate and furious, loyal and neutral in a moment. No man. The expedition of my violent love outrun the pauser reason. Here lie Duncan, his silver skin laced with his golden blood and his gashed stabs looked like a breach in nature for ruin's wasteful entrance there. The murderers, steeped in the colors of their trade, their daggers unmannerly breached with gore. Who could refrain that had a heart to love, and in that heart courage to make love known? Help me hence. Oh! Look to the lady, and when we have our naked frailties hid, that suffer in exposure, let us meet and question this most bloody piece of work to know it further fears and scruples shake us in the great hand of god i stand and thence against the undivulged pretense i fight of treasonous malice so do i so So, let's briefly put on manly readiness and meet in the hall together well Well contented what will i do i'll not consort with them to show an unfelt sorrow is an office which the false man does easy. I'll to England. Where I am, there's daggers in men's smiles. The near in blood, the nearer bloody. This murderous shaft that shot hath not yet lighted, and my safest way is to avoid the aim. Therefore to horse, and let me not be dainty of leave-taking, but shift away. There's warrant in that theft which steals itself when there's no mercy left. And so the Scottish prince flies, leaving Scotland's throne empty, and the country grieves the loss of good King Duncan. But no matter the sorrow, the crown cannot go empty long. And which temple's better to fill it than the twice-famed, he of both Lams and Cawdor, hero of the battles not long since, brave Macbeth, Scotland's proud thanes in Macbeth and Schoon, 
excepting Macduff, who makes his way home to Fife with a heavy heart. Will Macbeth, though he got his crown through blood, reign in peace? Join us next week when Macbeth will say, To be thus is nothing but to be safely thus. Wow. The tension is really ratcheting up. I heard Spalberg say it plays like a freight train from here on out. No stopping. Yep. Cushion the edge of your seat, friends, because that's where you're going to be for a while. And don't forget about this week's line of the week, the multitudinous seas incarnadine. Mention the line of the week at Filario's Pizza Pie for $5 off a brick oven pizza. Now, Waddle, while we wait for our guest, there's something important we need to discuss because there is a lot of buzz about something brought up in our first episode. Have you given more thought about directing next season? <laughs> no. A, a lot of our listeners have been talking about it. Charmian Bear 23 tweeted, we've been listening to Waddle's great ideas for years. Let's hear a Waddle show happen. Hashtag Waddle Hashtag it's about time. Hashtag walks like a duck must be a Waddle. It's very kind, and I appreciate the sentiment. And but... Gloucester's eyes said, Waddle's been talking the talk. Time for her to start walking or waddling the walk. Hashtag waddleer. That's two hashtags. That's all it takes to be trending in this county. I mean, that's great. But if chance will have me direct, then chance can beray me. I think you should do it. Why? Why not? For now, let's just welcome to the microphone art, actor, and vice president of internal affairs and public relations for Helicanus Corps, Mr. Simon Tittle. Hello, uh, Ms. Waddle, uh, Mr. Dobb. I'm curious what it was like, Mr. Uh, Mr. Tittle, uh, waiting for this interview while listening to an installment that you're not even taking part in. Oh, it was it was delightful. I, I simply availed myself of the snacks in the green room and, and I listened to all of my fellow actors put on their great work. Even though you didn't have lines tonight, I feel like Duncan was still a definite presence in tonight's installment um, as he was murdered on air or slightly off air, but then discussed later. Uh, was there anything surreal about hearing actors describe your gory demise? <laughs> I, I don't know if I would call it surreal. I, I was just there listening to the episode and eating the snacks and listening to my fellow actors. I, I don't really have that much of an imagination uh, to, to think about it very much more than that. <laughs> You have played a lot of kings and, and pseudo-kings for art in the past. Duncan is king, but he's different from some of the others you've played. He's not a soldier like Antony. He's not a would-be tyrant like Cymbeline or a, usurper like, or a usurper like Henry. He's the good king Duncan, after all. Uh, does that gentleness make him a weaker king or just a different king from some of these other guys? I don't know if I'd call him weaker. I'd more say that he's just a little naive. I mean, you know, Henry IV was more 
calculating, always having a plan of what what's in front of him. Duncan doesn't always see what's happening in front of him. I, I mean, I don't know much about medieval Scotland, basically only what Mr. Spalberg has told me. But but in real life, a, a gentle approach to leadership has, has served me well. It's 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 an interesting idea to see what would happen if you if you played a more forceful Duncan just to see how difficult he could make things for Macbeth. Although I, I, I suppose Benedict might not appreciate that. Yeah, you have pushed him <laughs> around a lot from from your uh, Hal, Hal and Henry days. Indeed. Uh, have you brought any of your real life to bear in playing all these kings? I mean, in real life, I don't think, no offense, you're a particularly kingly man and you certainly lack <laughs> some of the more, um, I guess, power-hungry aspect of some of these kings? Well, I, I mean, I like to think that my work at Helicanus has been helpful in, in, in teaching me how to be a king. I mean, similarly, you have to lead your lead your subjects. No, not, not that I think of my employees as subjects, but it's, it's, it's just a matter of, you know, thinking of yourself as a king, uh, speaking and, and, and moving in a kingly manner. And it, it, it's not really something that comes naturally to me but the the folks at art think i can do it and i'm happy to do it when i can is there a gentleness to duncan that you think ultimately leads to his demise i mean like is there an inherent vulnerability into being a gentlemanly king well i i don't know about uh gentleness um i as i said before he does have a certain naivete but I mean, I suppose just about any king has to be ruthless in some way. I will say that he, uh, as as Mr. Spalberg pointed out, he's not the most uh, 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 forward-looking king in the world. He he uh, simply makes his uh, his son his successor when there wasn't actually any uh, sense of a, a son necessarily being a successor at the time in Scotland, from what I understand. Uh, speaking of fathers and sons, later we're going to see you uh, play Seward, who is a very uh, different yes. kind of leader and a very different kind of father. Um, you know, without spoiling too much that's to come, I'm curious what you made of the differences between the two roles. Well, old Seward is is very different than Duncan. Certainly, he's he's a, he's a man of war and 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 has his head screwed on tw- tight. Uh, you know, this is this is where I think that my time spent with the Arden County National Guard comes into play. You know, and uh, we haven't done it yet, of course. But based on rehearsals, I think it's going to be very fun to play when we get to it. I, I know I'm. I'm looking forward in, in particular to finding a different voice for old Stewart, uh, something that'll keep him distinct from, uh, from, from, uh, from Duncan. I, I, I have my, my little moments of actorly flair, you see, and that's one of them. <laughs> we love that actorly flair. It's what gets us through every show. <laughs> one day I'll find mine, I'm sure. You've got it, Dob. It's just hiding. Reading between the lines, I always like to think about uh, Macbeth as a surrogate son to Duncan. Um, and as we mentioned earlier, Benedict played your son in Henry the Fourth. Um, did you feel like that father-son connection was still was still at play this time? It was still at play, but it was very different. Uh, I mean, a lot of things have been different in this show, but but I mean, I, I don't mean to say anything out of turn. Once you've established that father-son connection uh, in, a, in a play, it, it never really goes away. I would say that fatherhood is such an important theme for you in this play and, and maybe in the play in general. Duncan and Seward are both not just leaders, but fathers. 
And we've talked a little bit about your real life leadership skills being brought to the air, but what about your experience as a father? How has that informed your approach to these roles? Well, I would say really that uh, the, the, the greatest thing about being a father, of course, is, is, is love. And when you know that you love your child, and in this case, I think there is probably some kind of, there certainly was love between Henry and Prince Hal. And uh, I think there is a kind of love between Duncan and Macbeth at first. It may not be super mutual, otherwise you would think he wouldn't have killed me. Uh, but I, I think that that sort of, as long as you have that sense of, of, of love in your portrayal, uh, it can't help but be truthful. Lovely. I mean, you are, of course, the head of the Tittle clan, the Barrymores of Arden County. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> it's a dynasty, not unlike the Tulip, the Tittle Tulip dynasty mm. from days of yore. Mm. Um, but you've been in productions with your wife, your son, your youngest daughter, but this marks the first time you've shared the air with your daughter, Celia. I'm curious as to what that experience has been like. Oh, well, I'm very proud of Celia. I mean, I think she's just done a wonderful job. I mean, we've had maybe a little bit too much witchiness at home, to tell the truth, but, uh, but working with her has been an, an absolute bright spot in this particular production. Of course, speaking of witchiness, the curse has been dogging this production uh, have you experienced any effects of that? Oh, I don't know. Apart from stubbing my toe on the uh, walk into the to the uh, studio today, uh, I don't think that I believe in curses, really. Uh, I mean, I'm not much of a theater person. I, I wasn't even aware of the superstition about the name of the play until I heard you two talking about it. Uh, things have been a little on edge in this production, about whether that's a curse or if this just a different set of people in the studio. I, I, I couldn't tell you. I don't put much stock in, into curses myself, though. Now, that's interesting. I know I'm just the sound guy, so I'm a, a bit outside the process, an objective observer. Um, but not this time, Doc. Well, for these beginning scenes, I'm still not really part of it. But I've got to agree. I have observed a certain uneasiness about this production, and I'm not comfortable assigning that to a curse either. How would you say this is comparing to your past art experiences? Well, as I said, there's no doubt that it's a little more tense. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't want to speak out of turn. I, I, I have great respect for all of my fellow actors, but, but it was a bit more fun to play Henry or Antony uh, than it has been to play Duncan. I don't know. Uh, I, 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 like I said, I, I wouldn't apply that to the curse. I would simply say that it's a different set of people and maybe we uh, just have to get outside of our, uh, our heads, if you will, and, and just enjoy our time in the studio. I think it's sort of been interesting as well, just speaking to this point, um, Spalberg, a totally new director for art and making some unexpected casting choices. And it's been interesting to see how the different, how the cast sort of rises to that occasion. Um, what, do you have any um, impressions of some of our new coming actors? You know, we have Pete Neptune as Angus or uh, Angus Mobile as Linux, and of course, your daughter Celia. And I think they're all three bringing this exciting new energy into the room. Have you experienced any of that? 
Well, I I did listen. Uh, Celia uh, is a devoted listener to your uh, to your show, and uh, she did share with me your predictions for the uh, for the the casting. And I noticed that you got almost none of those right. So I suppose you guys were surprised <laughs> as I was uh, to that that I was Duncan. Uh, but I think that all of the new folks have just done a, a wonderful, wonderful job. And uh, you know, I can't say that I know all of them all that well. But uh, certainly, I've had very few complaints in terms of their actual performances, and uh, I hope that I can work with some of them again. Great. Um, and typically, we have both you and your wife, Octavia, in the art shows. Uh, this time, of course, Octavia unfortunately didn't join us. Um, but you've never actually been able to play directly opposite each other. Is that something you're interested in, or is it somehow easier being able to play off strangers? Oh, it would be a dream come true to, to be able to play opposite my dear Octavia. I've, I've always seen her as the, the, the Juliet to my Romeo, if you will. <laughs> I, I am a bit sad she wasn't able to be a part of this production, but the experience hasn't been quite the same because of that. But, you know, we get by and, and we have our balcony scenes that we play at home. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. And a lovely note to end on. So let's wrap this up with a question from the Shakespeare bag of questions. Oh dear. Waddle. <laughs> <laughs> it's everybody's favorite part. It's my favorite part. <laughs> All right. Fittingly enough, tonight's uh, Shakespeare question comes from Antony and Cleopatra. Oh. And what art thou that darest appear thus to us? And what art thou that darest appear thus to us? Uh, well, I am Mr. Simon Tittle that appears to you directly from Arden County's K-M-E-W, the cat. Well. <laughs> is, is that good enough? I mean, I really don't know. <laughs> it's a very accurate answer, so I think we'll accept it. Wonderful. Okay, folks, join us next week for the next installment of General Douglas I Will Return Mac Arthur. That's the spirit, Dobbins. We'll be back with installment four and an interview with Mead Gander. Until then. All we have to say is this show is our show. And these dogs are my dogs. Uh, woof, woof. <laughs> We're Waddle. And Dob. And this has been The Horned Moon Presents. If this podcast has offended, think but this, and all is mended. That this a work of fiction is nothing real but for coincidence. Our show is written by Merlin Cusell, who plays Waddle, and produced by me, Marshall B. Garrett, playing Dom. Mr. Simon Tittle is played by Zach Brewster Geis. You can check out all of Zach's work at zachbg.com. J. Andrew Dickinson composes our music, which is mixed by Eric Bostick. Special thanks this week to Tess Garrett. You can find out more about the show and those who made it at thehornedmoonpresents.com. If you want to know more about what's going on down to the minute in Arden County, please follow us on Facebook and Twitter. So like, subscribe if we be friends. Next time, make Beth the throne ascends. <laughs> <laughs>